The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and I had an awful stress dream last night that I dialed in to host our radio show without preparing a script or questions for our guests. Uh, Fortunately for you, that stress dream has proven not to be a reality, and we're ready to bring you the same great content we do every week. I hope I didn't just jinx myself. Uh, It's nearly Labor Day, so most of my students are starting to think about starting that college application process. Um, I really hope that they're thinking about starting that college application process. Last week, you heard all about the activities list, and in the week before that, Karen Spencer joined me to talk about beginning and brainstorming your college essay. Today, we'll fill in some of the other gaps in the getting started conversation with a focus on some organizational tools and application platforms. We'll also take a trip on down to Texas to unpack the Apply Texas application and all its moving parts. But first, we're going to welcome my colleague, Lori Peltier, who recently returned from a trip up and down the West Coast, the best coast. Welcome to the show, Lori, and welcome back. Thanks, Ian. Happy to be here. So you just made your way from Seattle to Portland through the California coast, and it goes without saying that any kind of travel is going to be a little costly and it's going to have to fit a budget. And coincidentally, we're here to talk about the cost of the college application process and how some of these pieces fit together from the very beginning of your high school career on through to that last visit to a college in April. Um, What expenses should people expect to pay for or have to plan for as they think about the college process uh, from the very start of that high school process? Well, Ian, there's there's a lot of expenses, and they they might not seem like a lot of money each you know at first, but they do add up. So, starting with the PSAT exam in the fall of junior year, uh, that is typically fifteen dollars uh, paid to your high school to take the PSAT exam. Some high schools even charge more to. Um, cover the cost of administering the exam at the high school. So that's where it starts. And then the advanced placement classes that a student might take, the AP classes and exams. The exam for an AP class is $94 each, um, and there can be some extra fees if you miss it or ask for a makeup test of some kind. Some high schools will also charge you for the textbooks because they are college-level textbooks that are required for the AP classes. So those can add up. And then there's the test preparation for those families right. who choose to prepare for the SAT or ACT with some tutoring, depending on whether they do it online or in a group or individual at home. It can vary from $50 an hour up to $100 an hour, um, 
depending on the format in which you, you take it and how many hours that you're, you're purchasing of the SAT or ACT prep classes. And then there's the, the test ex- itself, the SAT or ACT exams. Um, the cost of sitting for the exam, and, and most kids today, as you know, are, are taking them three or even four times if they can fit it into their schedule. So it's not just right. a one-time sitting, but this is multiplied by, by two, three, or four times. To register for the SAT, it's $45. There's an extra $28 if you register late or you change your registration. Um, there is a total cost of $60 to register for the SAT exam, including the essay portion. And then if you took the SAT subject test, uh, it's about $26 to register and another $21 for each subject that you take that day. Um, so wow. that's a whole different cost added on to the regular SAT. The you can do three. Test, I'm sorry, what was that? You can, you can do up to three subject tests for a single sitting. So we're talking about $63 on top of that initial registration fee. So that's, that's upwards of 80 bucks for the uh, up to three subject tests that you take on a single weekend sitting. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The ACT is similar in cost. It's $46 for the exam, another $27 for a late fee or any change fees um, would be added on. And that doesn't include the cost of sending the scores to the schools. Right. So both, both the SAT and the ACT will give you the opportunity to send your scores to four colleges when you register. Which four schools do you want to receive them? And that's included in the registration fee. But if you decide to send to more than four schools or you know, not take advantage of those first four, you want to wait and see your scores, it's uh, $12 per school for the SAT and uh, $13 for the ACT. And then they charge extra if you want it rushed to get there within a certain time frame. So there are, there are tons of costs in there, and they really add up. Um, yeah. And there are some costs that you should be able to avoid. Uh, that rushing, uh, rushing the scores almost never makes a difference in terms of when those scores get there. Uh, so a lot of students and parents will panic and say, we got to get these scores there in a hurry, especially to make this deadline. Um, in fact, the, the normal time it takes to, to get tests to, a, to an uh, institution is a, about the same amount of time as it takes to rush them. Um, but I think that there's some really interesting thoughts that you can have around what your timeline looks like. If you plan everything out, you know, Lori, you were mentioning those late fees are $28 to register late for exams uh, or to do a change of a date. Uh, if you plan things out at the front end thoughtfully, you should be able to avoid those late fees. Um, right. and there's no reason that you should be racking up, you know, 50 to $100 in late fees because of your planning. Uh, so think a little bit about what the strategy looks like across all of your testing and make sure that you're thoughtfully planning out your calendar so that you don't run into those, those tack-on fees. Exactly, um, exactly. And one thing I didn't mention is the application for admission itself. Um, all right. Th- that can run anywhere from $30 to $80. I did some research recently, and University of Florida is 30 University of California is 70 University of Texas is 75 University of Massachusetts is $80, and they are all non-refundable. Um, so that fee alone is, is just the cost of submitting your application, not counting all your test scores. 
Right. And I think I think Stanford is ninety dollars. I think they're they're close to triple digits there on the application fee. And um, those add up. I mean, you know, one fee, thirty bucks, that doesn't seem like a lot, but if you're applying to ten schools and it's thirty, that's that's three hundred. If you're applying to ten that are seventy, that's seven hundred dollars. So mm-hmm. it, that is a significant cost. Uh, if you're thinking about um, your your application, I, I want to. You mentioned in an email um, before the show, sort of mentioning the SAT score testing process and and sending those scores because of the amount of you know the cost that you'll incur in this process. I think it is important to take advantage of those free scores if you can send them to institutions. Um, but when you take the SAT, you might not know exactly where you plan to apply and what their testing policies are since you might be taking it in the fall of your junior year or spring of your junior year. So what I usually recommend is that you use those four free uh, tests to send them to especially your in-state publics or other schools that you feel might be uh, safety schools that you're definitely going to apply to or other schools that have favorable testing policies, which means that they always super score or always take your highest score. So, you know, they're, they're never going to look at a low score and disadvantage you in any way. So you want to use those free scores as much as you can. Um, Lori, fee waivers are something that I think a lot of students don't necessarily know about, a lot of families don't know about. Uh, do fee waivers exist? Is there a way to get around some of these costs? There are some fee waivers out there for both the Common App or um, an application for a specific college or the SATs, but they are typically based on proving your income levels. So check with your high school guidance office, first of all, to see if they can get a fee waiver for your registration fees for your testing. They usually are based on income indicators, such as if a student's receiving free or reduced lunch program through their school, you know, something that's already been validated by the high school that the student qualifies for that program, so they should qualify for a fee waiver. Um, There are a few other situations where you might qualify. Some first-generation college students can get a fee waiver for the Common App. Um, The other way that I always recommend to families is check with the school when you go for an open house. Some schools will be giving Mm -hmm. out fee waivers if you attend their open house. Um, so, So check for that. And also, if you have an alumni who's a family friend or family member, ask the alumni to ask the admissions office for a fee waiver for you. So they might say, hey, my nephew's applying, he's a stand-up student, we, you know, he really liked, you know, what I had to say about your school, could you possibly give me a fee waiver so he'll apply? So sometimes you can get it through an alumni from that college. You know, I, I occasionally got emails directly from students uh, also asking for fee waivers when I was working at admission, and um, they would tell me just a little bit of basic information about their family. I wasn't looking for all the details on income, but just basic information to request that fee waiver, um, and we would often approve it. Uh, we didn't want to be in a position where a student couldn't apply because of the cost of attendance, and so it, it is in some cases a good idea to reach out directly to the college to see if something like that is possible. Um A lot of these expenses seem like out-of-pocket expenses, but there is that 529 plan that that maybe parents and students have created for their their students' education. Can you use that 529 plan to pay for some of these costs? Unfortunately, these costs are not considered qualified expenses for a tax-free withdrawal from your 529 plan. You Hmm. could use your 529 plan, but it would create a taxable event. so it's not considered a tax-free withdrawal. Only tuition fees, room and board, books and supplies, once you're enrolled, are considered a tax-free withdrawal. 
Gotcha. So you can pull out of there, but it's it's a 10% penalty. And then you're also paying taxes on the earnings, not necessarily on the uh, contributions, but on the earnings uh, of the 529, right? Correct. And the 10% penalty is on the earnings as well. Gotcha. Good. So, you know, it's it's a penalty. It might not be as steep as you think it is based on what your contributions have been over the years, but uh, either way, it's, it is something to keep in mind. Um, do we see that there's a, a big variation in, in costs from program to program? And we talked a little bit about schools, but uh, are we seeing that there are ways for students and parents to be thoughtful about what these costs look like and to manage this in a way that, that helps their bottom line? Well, some programs such as a music theater or art program may have additional costs because you might need to go and audition. Uh, you might need a, you know, a pianist to accompany you if you are a vocalist. You might need an art portfolio that might cost money to put together and, you know, that portfolio and submit it to the school. So sometimes those kind of majors may have additional costs that you hadn't thought of. But typically, you know, the applications are pretty much the same whether you're an English major or an engineering major. It's really when you get into the arts that you see a difference. But I do think there's a lot of ways that families can try to minimize the cost, you know, especially about traveling to visit schools. You know, go with another family. Do it while you're already on vacation. Plan out your trip in advance and try to hit as many colleges as you can in one trip rather than constantly being on the road um, visiting colleges that might be right next door to each other. Right, right. I think that that makes a lot of sense. There are also some fly-in programs that are out there for students. Uh, if you're a first-generation student or you come from an, an underrepresented population, many, many schools, especially smaller schools, have fly-in programs where they will pay for your flights and your travel expenses to come and see the campus as a part of a cohort. So if you are a, a member of one of those underrepresented groups, uh, you can you can often get into a position where uh, you're getting a free visit to campus, and, and that's something that benefits both the institution and the student. Uh, any, any other tips that you have, Lori, around the travel? I mean, are, are there things that are uh, college-specific travel tips that you'd get or just smart travel tips in general about, you know, comparing hotels and, and you know, making a budget and that kind of thing? Um, well, having done this with my own children, I, you know, and not really keeping good records, but I know it cost us a lot of money to, to go up and down the East Coast looking at schools. Uh, yeah. I, would, I would drag along any younger children you have. You know? right. So if you have a sophomore and a senior, bring them both along because it's not going to be a blink of an eye before the sophomore is ready to go so they can get a, a view of the college as well. Uh, as a parent, it's often the last times you get to travel with your kid. <laughs> so really <laughs> enjoy it. Um, but yeah, you, know, you don't have to stay at the Ritz. You can stay you know, at, at a less expensive school uh, and try to you know, eat your meals on campus. Most of the college visits, they will give you vouchers for breakfast or lunch if you're there during that time to check out the cafeteria and eat your meals there rather than at a restaurant um, and you know, shop around for, for deals on hotels and other restaurants in the area as well. And quickly, and I just wanted to say I ran some numbers if there was a student who took one AP class uh, took the SAT exam twice, took one subject test, and sent their scores to six schools and applied to six colleges, the total cost would be $675. Okay. Um, just to give you a ballpark figure of what six schools, two SAT exams, and one AP course would cost. And that is that doesn't include any kind of travel to see those no. campuses. 
No. Uh, it, it doesn't include test prep. Um, no. it, you know, so there are, there are other things that supplement that, but I think that that is really instructive, sort of what, what does the bare bones kind of look like? And most students are going to be in the neighborhood of that $675. That's going to be sort of unavoidable unless right. you can get some, some fee waivers based on your family income. Uh, yeah. Do you have any other tips for, for cost cutting around, around the process? Well, I think what you had laid out about planning out your SAT exams, when are you going to take it, what schools are you going to send the scores to, can you take advantage of those free scores, I, I would definitely, you know, take advantage uh, of, of that and, and have a plan and not just willy-nilly say, oh, I think I'll take the test next week and pay the late fee. Right. Uh, I also think that there are there are some families that, overvalue test prep for things like the PSAT, or they do test prep a little bit too early in the process. You know, I was talking to uh, my wife about this just yesterday and was sort of like, if you knew you had to run a race really fast, you wouldn't start training when you were five years old. You would let your natural growth and and puberty sort of help you to become faster. And there is sort of a a natural value to just getting older and understanding concepts and materials better that's going to make you have a better test score. So, you know, it can be a good idea to just uh, be thoughtful about when you use that test prep if you choose to do it and thoughtful about when you choose to take the tests in terms of your abilities uh, relative to your high school courses. Um, Lori, any other parting thoughts as we we close down the segment for today? The last thing that I wanted to mention, and you just prompted it for me, a lot of high schools do offer SAT prep for free. It may not be the best test prep you can get, but for free, you might as well try it and see if it works for your child. Some kids don't need a lot of test prep to improve their schools, their scores. They just need a little bit of help to get them, you know, familiar with the test. Definitely. And, you know, some of those SAT, ACT books cost about 20 bucks. So you can also do that and do some self-study at home in a way that, that will help improve your scores as well. Uh, Lori, thanks a lot for coming on today and, and talking us through these costs. Uh, any single highlight from your trip down the coast that stands out to you? <laughs> uh, just, you know, coming around the mountains in um, Oregon and viewing the Pacific Ocean from the mountains is just, it's such a beautiful view. I love the Pacific Ocean coast. It is amazing. Thanks a lot, Lori. Have a great, uh, great weekend. Thank you, Ian. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the beginning process of the application itself, so don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. 
visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. If you're anything like me, your favorite meal is something with a little heat to it. And there's no better place for delicious and spicy food than the Southwest. Because I'm feeling hungry and missing Albuquerque, today's school spotlight is on the University of New Mexico in ABQ. What is a lobo, you ask? It's the Spanish word for wolf, and since 1920, it has also served as the official nickname for the University of New Mexico. As a Hispanic-serving institution, over 45% of undergrads identify as such. UNM welcomes students from a diverse range of cultures and backgrounds. 34% of students are Caucasian, while 6% identify as American Indians. Over 19,600 undergrads are enrolled in the main Albuquerque campus, many of whom are attracted to the university's stellar science and engineering programs. In addition to offering the only nuclear engineering program in the state, UNM also features majors in astrophysics, earth and planetary sciences, and medical laboratory sciences. Students interested in pursuing undergraduate research will have plenty of opportunities on campus, including the McNair program, the Research Opportunity Program, and maximizing access to research careers, all of which are specially designated for students from minority backgrounds. Fun fact, if you're not a New Mexico resident, the university provides great financial incentives for you to apply. Students with top GPAs, 3.9 or above, and strong ACT scores above 31 can apply for scholarships worth over $33,000 per year. I would also like to add that my mother and her husband have a joint faculty appointment in biology at UNM, and they have nothing but great things to say about the university. And if you find yourself down near campus, you'll be doing yourself a big favor by stopping in at the frontier. My belly is just rumbling thinking about it. All right, with that spicy little interlude, we're going to move on to our next topic, starting the college application. Joining me to help get the ball rolling is my colleague from way out on Long Island, Kara Courtois. Welcome, Kara. Thanks, Ian. How are you? I am doing great. I just made myself hungry. I didn't think that was actually going to happen when I wrote that, but now (laughs) I want lunch. (laughs) So uh, I don't know about you, but... um, the last weeks before school starts tend to be a time when my families are starting to freak out a little bit about college application timeline because school's starting and they're worried. Uh, is that just a West Coast thing or you, do you see that out East as well? Uh, absolutely not. Nope. It's, the heat is on out here for sure since August 1st, definitely. Right. So August 1st is the launch date for the Common App and the UC application, a lot of other applications. It's sort of the moment where things are turned on. Uh, What are some of the things that you 
are working with with your seniors right now, the questions that you're fielding among your families? Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of what I try to impress upon them is, yes, you want to get, you know, as much done physically as possible before school gets started, but not for, um, you know, uh, diminishing quality of what they're doing, um, but really emphasizing um, creating some structure around the process to try and, you know, mitigate some of the stress that people put on because I find families are, you know, just as stressed out by waking up in the middle of the night or, you know, thinking, well, you know, being worried or hearing that test scores didn't arrive on time to a college because the student forgot to send them, you know, until it was too late. So trying to capture some of those, all right, let's really focus on what you can do to alleviate you know, some of the stresses in this process that really are in your control, as we often say. Um, right. So some of those basics, sending official test scores, if you are done with your testing and not waiting for, you know, October, send them today. You know, just get that off your to-do list. Um, right. For sure. And, it's, and that you got to have a to-do list to make that happen, yeah. right? I mean, you can, you got to have something that tells you a little bit about what steps need to be taken to get these applications sent out and, and make sure that you're following it fairly closely. Um, you know, I have tried a lot of different to-do lists on my phone and on my computer, and I find that when I don't use them, they're not helpful. <laughs> so, exactly. you know, they have to be something that you use. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think, I don't know if you about you, but I find my students over the summer, things are a lot more there isn't really structure that it's sort of like, see what you can do. Let's get as much done as we can, but there isn't sort of this regimented push towards a finish line. Uh, do you see that uh, over the summer with your students and, and do you try and bring a more rigid structure to the fall uh, so that it fits alongside, you know, school? How, how do you help them navigate that transition? Yeah. I mean, I think it's different for every student and, I try to meet them where they are, you know, on some level, yeah. but also um, look ahead to reality. So I I get a little old-fashioned with students sometimes and, you know, suggest and I, um, you know, just say, let's pull out an actual calendar and look at how many days are left in this month before school gets started mm-hmm. or you know, um, what are some pockets of time that might exist, not just for the application work, but then also for maybe visiting some campuses that maybe a student hasn't been to yet or hasn't had time to or wants to go back and revisit. And so what are those possibilities? The school calendar for their high school is already available online. So let's map it out. And, um, you know, if you're lucky, you have some holidays in September and October. I find the poor Catholic school kids rarely get that. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, they don't have off All Saints Day, November 1st. So that's always brutal to, you know, look at it with them. But I think with the public school students, they usually have at least three to five days off in the fall. So that's always a relief, I find, to really map that out as a family, you know, encourage them to look at that and how can they maximize those days, um, especially yeah. if they're fall athletes. Are they still having practice and or a game on any of those days? Um, because then maybe they can't visit right. or could do it on the weekend. So, 
Is do you find that the visit is important enough in any case where you where it would be okay to miss some school uh, if there isn't mm-hmm. time available and and what are the situations where missing school for a visit is worthwhile? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I definitely think it can be. I, I think most high schools tend to put a cap on or give, and a lot of seniors don't know this, but many high schools give like three days or at least three in the fall, maybe three in the spring that are excused absences in case they're worried about that with respect to what their teachers might say to them when they get back right. to school. Um, and I encourage students to think thoughtfully about if they would utilize that in the fall because they might want to use it in the spring after they've been admitted to school. Um, but definitely there are times, and, and mainly it's sometimes a student who either can't get away any other time because of maybe a family schedule because of parents' work um, or that they really maybe matured at this point and really have a much better understanding of what they want and maybe weren't so thoughtful perhaps a year previously when they started visiting schools Um, or more importantly can actually sit in on a class if that's a possibility and they can only do that on a school day. Um, Right or actually see the college campus in session because there's a lot of students and I know a lot of families and I still encourage it. Yeah, do some visits in the summer if that works for you, but you might need to go back and see the school when they're in session to really get a feel for it. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely good reasons. I have a student I'm working with in the Bay Area, and he's had a chance to go visit a lot of California schools, and, and he's been up to Washington, but as he's done his research, he's also discovered he really likes Carnegie Mellon, and he likes it a lot. He likes it enough that it might be an early decision option for him, and you know, I sort of told him, look, if you're going to apply ED, you really need to get out and see that campus sometime this fall in order to solidify that this is the place you know you want to go. Um, and, and so, you know, I think there are situations where you've got to check out that campus and feel that vibe in order to be confident in sending off one of those binding applications as well. Um, I even go as far as really suggesting the parents and students, if there's any way possible, if a student's doing early decision, to stay overnight on that campus Yeah. Um, yes. with a current student, which usually they're going to have to find somebody because the admissions office often can't do that, um, but they can ask, uh, to, to really make an effort to do that because a binding contract is a binding contract. So, right. deal. Got to do your homework, uh, and and that goes beyond just uh, reading about it online. Um, yeah. You sort of alluded to the you alluded to excused absences and communicating with teachers. Um, what are some things that high school students need to do to keep their school informed and to stay on top of things with respect to their their teacher recommendation letters and what their counselors need to send? How how should they navigate that process? Yeah, I mean, I think um, sometimes it's actually a I would say to students, well, have you checked your school's website recently under the guidance section of the website? Because a lot of schools, even if the you know majority of teachers are out, guidance is not always closed. And so they have maybe been revamping things that are on the website or publishing items that maybe are taken off at other times of the year, um, such as directions for how a guidance office processes a student's transcript request that check your website first because it might be available. Some schools, um, you know, many schools have given students access to their Naviance accounts if their school is using that database. 
And if a student can get, you know, on there and and start doing some of the the basic things, you know, I don't want to get too uh, complicated, but such as tying their Naviance account to their Common App. It takes all of 10 seconds to do that on their um, application, and it's really quite easy. Um, But they just, if they can do some of those steps so that when they actually meet with their guidance counselor, in the fall, as most students will, they might only have a half-hour meeting. So they can start narrowing down some of the things that um, can be done ahead of time and see sort of a, a to-do list that their, their teachers might give them or their guidance counselor might give them um, and, and yes. figure out how to, you know, request teacher recommendations officially through their school's services. So that's a piece that students really need to navigate on their own and I can't help as much with but it is important information. And, you know, this show is going to air on August 24th, and I can tell you that today, August 24th, is not a date that's going to be a deadline for for anything in your schools. But I was talking to a student just yesterday who said he needed to have his, any early schools that he wanted to apply to, he needed to have his uh, information sheet to his counselor by August 31st. And that was Mm -hmm. a school policy and was something that he was aware of because he had been up on that process. So make sure that if there are deadlines at your school that you're checking those out and making sure that you're you're following all of them that's a pretty early deadline uh but they do exist and you want to make sure that you can apply early action to a school if that's something you want to do uh without having missed that deadline from from your school um there, there are a lot of examples of things like that that are out there um Kara, what about the importance of the the list at this point? Um, you know, I, I've got a couple of students who are done. Their lists are locked and loaded. They're ready to apply. I have other students that are still trying to decide between some of their, you know, 15 to 20 kind of finalists. Um, I have other students that have, you know, really been sort of dragging their feet on the research process. What is the what can students do to get themselves over the hump and, and finalize that college list? And when should that be done? That's a great question. I think going back to that point about, you know, having a to-do list and creating a spreadsheet, I often, you know, say to students, you may not love a spreadsheet, but I guarantee your parents, you know, will love that. <laughs> and sometimes, in, and, and they'll thank themselves later for having it. Um, but, you know, creating a, a, you know, a checklist spreadsheet, um, keeping track of all the items necessary for each of their applications. Sometimes in doing that exercise, you know, if they start with a list of 18 schools, they realize how um, overwhelming that is going to be. And oftentimes, you know, that's when I might say to students, do, you know, are there students who have applied to 18 schools? Yes, I know that there are. Um, I'm on Long Island, so I would say that, (laughs) you know, uh, there's quite a few um, characters on Long Island that might, you know, do that. and trying to, you know, leverage so many different, you know, parts of that. But uh, the other part is, you know, can you do 18 quality applications? Not often. Um, And so, you know, you really need to be thoughtful in that. And when you put down all the tasks that need to happen, be it sending the official test scores down to writing supplemental essay responses for that many schools, then sometimes having the conversation around, okay, do I have a balanced list? Do I have some target schools that I, you know, or what we call just right schools that I should mm-hmm. be able to get into based on statistics from my high school or what I've read online? 
and do I have, you know, two no problem or safety schools? And then do I have potentially some reach schools if that's what I'm going for? And finding some balance. And sometimes to narrow it, you know, it depends on what your primary focus would be. And for some families, that will be cost. And so having, you know, a spreadsheet that includes how much a school will cost if it doesn't have merit money, sometimes that will make a school come off a list for a, right. for a student that knows they're not going to get merit money there and the parents are saying we can't have you apply there without merit money possibilities. Yeah. So, you know, you're starting to hone in conversations, you know, just like when you're, you know, when families will think about buying a car and they might, you know, line things up as far as, you know, comparing and contrasting and narrowing things down. Um, they really need to, to have a set of, you know, a, a lens through which that they, they look at the process and try to narrow what's realistic and what, if I was going to toss one off this list um, after getting in, well, why did I apply there to begin with? Right, right. I think that that's, that's great advice. Rope all those factors in there. If they're going to be considerations at the end, make them considerations at the start. Um, and then finally, I, you know, we got just about a minute, but is there anything that anyone should do around jumping into the applications themselves and trying to figure out what those moving parts are, um, you know, getting into the Common App, getting into the UC App, the Apply Texas App. Are there things that you should do as a student or a parent just to figure out how all those pieces work? Yeah, I, I say just get on it. You know, gone are the days, and I often remind parents of this. When I was applying to college, you know, my mom Xeroxed all the applications, and first I filled everything out in pencil, <laughs> and then had to type them. And so gone are those days. You know, you can fill things out, and it doesn't go anywhere until you actually put a credit card to it and press submit. So, you know, get in on the application, and I encourage students all the time um, to get in there and start filling it out, you know, within an hour. You would pretty much fill out the bulk of any application platform there, and that takes a lot of stress out of the process just to demystify what many students will build up into this process that would take weeks and months. Really, can a lot of it can be done in an hour. And then the stuff that takes a lot more time, the writing of the essays and answering those questions, um, you know, will be done over the following weeks. But just demystifying it by getting in and looking behind the curtain and filling things out will help a lot. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Kara, thank you for coming on the show today and keeping things going for those students out there. Uh, it's, it's still a ways until the process is over, but uh, it, it, you're close and uh, you know it's good to get things started. So thanks a lot for coming out. You're welcome. Thanks so much. I want to put in a little plug before we go to break for our College Coach blog, which you can find at blog.getintocollege.com. One of our frequent radio show guests, Elise Krantz, is also our resident Common App expert. And if you find you're getting stuck on any part of the application, chances are good that Elise has addressed that issue in a recent blog post. Get yourself to blog.getintocollege.com and use the search tool to look up all Common App posts. You'll be swimming in great advice in no time. When we come back, we'll be taking a trip deep to the heart of Texas. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. 
But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. In our final segment today, we're welcoming our friend and newly ripened Georgian peach, Tova Tolman, to the show. Welcome, Tova. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. So I warned you. That's here. what I was going to say. Georgia just moved down to uh, uh, Georgia. Tova just moved down to Georgia. We're off to a great start here. Subsequently uh, changed my name to Georgia. Georgia. That's right. That's what, you know, you get to the border and that's what they give you a new name. Um, you've got some thunderstorms brewing out there. Uh, and so let us know if you lose your power or things get scary. But until then, we're going to talk about Texas. Is that all right? That sounds great. It's very similar, All right, perfect. especially perfect. for thunderstorms. So, for those of you who are interested in applying to college in Texas, there's a special application pl- platform that you need to know about. Uh, Tova, can you tell us a little bit about what it is, what it's called, and how it works? Sure. It's called Apply Texas. And like any other sort of common platform, it's one application you can use and submit to multiple schools. Uh, It works a little bit differently than some of the other platforms we've spoken about, like Common App or Coalition. Uh, It's a lot clunkier and not quite as pretty or intuitive, but uh, fundamentally at its root, it is is some sort of shared place to put in all your information and then send to multiple schools. Pretty much all the schools in Texas accept it, with one notable exception of Rice University in Houston, but uh, all public schools and uh, nearly all private schools do use it. But a lot of schools also accept something else. They might have their own institutional app they're happy to accept. They might participate with Common App or the Coalition app. Uh, but there are a few schools out there, some of the large flagships, that only will use Apply Texas. So if you're applying, for example, to UT or uh, Texas Tech, you're for sure going to be using Apply Texas. 
I almost feel like what you want to do as a student is is fill out a grid. You've got all your schools. You've got like those are your rows. Then you've got columns that are which application platform they accept. And you want to just sort of X off each cell to figure out which applications you need to fill out and what the way to do it is that requires the least amount of work on your part, right? I mean, colleges don't actually care which app platform you use in terms of deciding your application. Uh, It's something that's mostly for your own convenience, right? True. And this is something I actually require of the students that I work with because, as you said, uh, they really couldn't care less which platform you use. I worked at schools that accepted multiple applications, and as you said, it was really made to be as accessible as possible to you. Here, we'll, we'll accept any kind of application you want to make it easier for you to apply to our school. So if you're applying to a school that requires Apply Texas and you've filled it out anyway for that school, hey, maybe you can save yourself a step and use it anyway then for that other school. Now, yeah. here's one thing to consider, though. Uh, some of the questions might differ, and they might have actually slightly different ways to express yourself. So sometimes it's not just as straightforward as figuring out, well, what's one less, what's one fewer application that I need to fill out, but all right, which essay prompts or, or formats are going to best showcase my strengths and my personality? Okay, so way to throw a wrench in that one. Um, maybe we can no unpack that. <laughs> Great. Before we talk a little bit about those essays, and I want to talk about the Applied Texas essays because I think they're really interesting. One of the ideas that sort of pops up a lot when we talk about Texas is automatic admission. Um, mm. Now, this is a policy that really only applies to residents of Texas, um, mm-hmm. but, but I want to make sure that people are not getting confused about what the automatic admission policy is and that those who are residents of Texas and listeners to the show are aware of this as well. Can you just give us a quick crash course on that? Sure. Uh, It's often known as the top 10% rule. We don't need to go into the House bill and and all the legislation behind it or the the history behind it. Uh, Shortly based is that it's a a race-neutral way to increase ethnic and racial diversity in their student body. So if you are in the top 10% of your high school class by the end of your junior year, so that rank that is calculated going into your senior year, you are in the top 10%, you are guaranteed automatic admission to any public institution in Texas. Now, there are a couple of caveats there, of course. You have to be satisfying a certain minimum number of graduation requirements, uh, be taking the accelerated track in terms of the courses. Uh, you certainly also need to apply. So I think the term automatic is a little misleading. Like I used to tell my football recruits at one of the schools I worked at, I cannot admit you if you do not apply. So even if right. you're guaranteed acceptance, you still do need to apply. Now, there are two other big caveats. One is that it's it's guaranteeing acceptance to the school or, or to the university, if you will, not to the program of your choice. So you want to go to A&M and you're in the top 10% of your class, great, you're in. Now, you want to go to A&M, but you want engineering, sorry, I can't guarantee you that. That's going to be under holistic review. Now, the other huge caveat here is that UT often – uh, so, which most people in Texas just call it UT, uh, it has a permission, if you will, to cap their automatic acceptance at 75% of their class. 
basically what they're saying is, hey, if we had to guarantee acceptance to all every student who is in the top 10%, our entire class would be filled by automatic admission, and we'd have no flexibility as to who we got to admit, and that's not fair. So they get to uh, decide essentially how... Uh, to what percentage you need to be in each year. It's a little bit different. They let you know by the fall of your junior year what, what rank you need to be at by the time that you graduate or finish the end of junior year. Usually it's about the top 7%. Two years ago it was top 8%. It fluctuates. Uh, this coming year's class need to be in the top 7% to be guaranteed acceptance to UT Austin. And that is in a Texas high school. So you can be in yeah. the top 3% of your high school in Arizona, but that doesn't mean that you're guaranteed admission to a Texas school. So it's just within the state. Um, exactly. Great. Now, there are a few blog posts out there about applying to Texas on our blog, which I mentioned in our last segment, blog.getintocollege.com. There's another plug. Uh, one that you wrote, one that I wrote. Uh, there are some mechanics of the Texas app. Yours is better than mine. Uh, yeah. Maybe more mm-hmm. useful. Yours is more factually accurate. Mine is much more qualitative and cerebral. So whether that's better or worse, I don't know. It's up to you. Uh, What are some of the tips uh, that students should have as they fill it out? I'm in particular, I'm looking at your blog post right now. Wow, it's incredible. Um, Tip number one, I think, is really important for students that might be getting started on their Texas application. Oh, my gosh. Yes. This is, this is what kills me about the lack of uh, intuitive nature to the common, uh, to the, this platform to apply Texas. Okay, so this is a little hard to explain, so bear with me and let me know if I should clarify any of these pieces. In comparison, since we've recently on the show talked about some of the other platforms out there like Common App or Coalition, where you enter everything into sort of the portal and then it it sends it to other schools, as, as generally as I can explain it, Apply Texas works differently. You create an application to one specific school, and then when you finish that application, you copy that application and then can send it to another school, and you have an opportunity to edit it. But when you hit that copy button, it's only going to take over anything that's completed. So let's say you're working through the application, you get up to the activities section, you enter maybe one of your activities, but then you ah, you, you, you want to spend some time editing and you're, you're not really sure, gosh, you know, I also want to talk about some employment and some volunteer, and you're not really sure what to put in, but you decide, you know what, I also know I want to apply to all these other schools, so let me start making copies. You will then have to enter all that information into each of those applications. So what I strongly encourage is to pick one school that you know you're applying to. Okay, I know I'm applying to Texas Tech. Let me complete an application to Texas Tech. I don't have to submit it yet, but let me at least make sure I make my way through all the extracurricular activity sections and then hit copy after I've completed those so that the extracurriculars, the volunteer information, and the employment information all gets carried through to those other copies. Perfect. And your blog post goes on to say a few things about checking requirements for each school because they can be slightly different from school to school. Um, Talks a little bit about the importance of the activity section as it pertains to scholarship information. Uh, I don't want to spoil it because it's so great. Uh, So our our (laughs) listeners can go and read it uh, by searching for Apply Texas on our blog. Uh, But I want to talk about essays, and we've still got some time here to dive into them a little bit. The Texas schools have their own set of essays that they use for their application. and we know them by the letters A, B, C, D, E. How many are there? There are a lot. Um, are they? Are these essays significant? There are really only three. There, there are three. A, B, and C are the big ones. And some schools have some additional ones. 
That's right. So are these essays significantly different in terms of content or the question uh, from what students tend to see from other schools? Honestly, not really. Topics A and B really are almost uh, an exact copy-paste or, or the sentiment, at least, from those other common platforms that we've seen. You know, it's, right. it's a little bit of tell us something about what's around you or that has inspired you and how has it shaped you moving forward. You know, it, it varies a little bit from that, but it's that sort of general idea. Topic C, though, is a little bit more fun, and it's an opportunity to show a creative side of yourself. And it models more like some of the supplemental questions you might see from those colleges that have those extra questions. Right. And that C is you've got a ticket in your hand. Where will you go? What will you do? What will happen when you get there? Um, and this one, some students, I think, are going to have a little bit more fun with this one than the other two. And some students might say, gosh, I don't know how to answer that question. I'm going to stick with the safe A or B option. And either way is fine. You're not being judged by which topic you choose, uh, just the way that you uh, sort of showcase yourself in your response. Right. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts that you have around those major essays before we get into this news that you discovered this morning? Mm, yes. Hey, no, I'm so well researched. I knew about this all along. Yeah. Um, I'd say, you know, as you said, I want to echo, but really reiterate, go with what feels natural to you. No one's going to require C. Um, A is required by many. Uh, but in terms of for the schools that make the additional topics optional uh, or, or they say pick one of the three, go with what feels natural to you. If you look at that topic and that seems exciting to you and, and you could just think of all the places that you could write about and what you do when you got there and, and how well it would reflect on who you are, great, go with it. If you want to go with something more traditional or if more importantly, you've already written this great essay for Common App and you can now pretty much copy and paste it into the Apply Texas app, fantastic, just do that. And it's okay. We're okay with copying and pasting. Texas is obviously okay with copying applications themselves. So don't feel <laughs> like, you know, you want to work smart, is something Beth always says. Work smart. Don't just work hard for the sake of working hard. You can reuse stuff that you've already written. Now, hot off the presses, UT has a new set of short answer essays this year. You just discovered it this morning. I'm going to assume that's because sure. they were just released this morning. Um, you know what? They were released let... just in the last couple of days. So give me just in the last couple last days. week. These were not on their site. Perfect. So there are uh, three new short essays that that to me look a lot like the essays that are on the UC application um, in that there are 250 to 300 words. They're personal insight questions in some ways. Uh, what are what are they? What's going on here? Sure. And also one point of clarification, they have dropped one of their other larger essay requirements in place for these or to make room for these. So forever in a, or UT used to say, all right, give us two big prompts of your choice or, or we want topic C and A or B of your choice. And last year it was we want topic A and then B or C of your choice. Now they want topic A and then these three short answers. So one is about career plans. And if you could have any career, what would it be? Why? Describe any activities that you're involved in, life experiences you've had, or even classes you've taken that have helped you identify this professional path. <laughs> they're, they're clearly working hard to give you all kinds of different directions to go in to, to address what that career plan might be. They recognize many students have no idea what they want to do after they graduate, and that's fine. But basically, let us know something that interests you and how you came, uh, came about that interest. Right. 
Second is an academic one. And that seems to me to be, is there anything sort of unusual in your academic history that you want to explain? Please provide that for us. Or if there's nothing unusual, you can talk a little bit about the way that your record reflects who you are. Uh, And then there's a third short answer that you can give us, and then we'll be done with the segment. Yes. Thank goodness. Finally. Uh, Leadership. (laughs) Uh, How do you show it in your life? How do you see yourself being a leader at UT? Um, And and I think that one can be fun. A great way to demonstrate your familiarity and interest specifically in UT. And how do you relate that to what you've done in the past? Really showing them how you are going to be impactful on their campus. And leadership and a career focus have always been things that I think UT really looks for. And this is just a way of them Mm -hmm. making that much more explicit. Uh, Thanks, Mm -hmm. Tova, for coming on the show and helping us make our way through the Texas applications. We're always glad to have you. My pleasure, Ian. Happy to be here. Okay, next week, we've got another great show for you. We're going to be talking about the American University Admission Office, the UC application, and taking listener questions about college finance. I want to close today's show on a more serious note. Um, All of you are no doubt aware of the deeply troubling events in Charlottesville last weekend. Because we record this show a week early, those horrific events are still fresh in our minds, as I can imagine they are in yours, even listening to this recording a week from now. When I got to work on Monday, my first thought was actually of a senior I worked with last year who's beginning his four years at the University of Virginia this month. He's a thoughtful, engaging, talented kid who is a leader in his high school and who I know will continue to be a leader in college. There are so many good people coming to Charlottesville this fall to make a difference, and I know he is one of them. At College Coach, we unequivocally reject racism, hatred, and bigotry. We stand with those of you who feel unsafe after last weekend and those of you who feel you need an open heart to talk to. As educators, we are especially lucky to be able to work with so many incredible young people who we know will make a difference in the next generation. Our closing message to you today is to find your voice, to believe in the power of that voice, and to use it to advance the cause of good through your college experience and beyond. Take care of yourselves and each other. Love to all. Have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 